We've started chapter 23 in Kings 2, and it's all about King Yoshiao. And you know, every king has his own particular challenges, just like every individual in this world has his own unique challenges. And those challenges are often defined by the particular era he happened to be born in. You know, King David had his unique challenges, and so did King Chizkiyahu. And it was unique because the particular era they live in presents unique problems. Uh, King David, for instance, had to deal with all the tribal jealousies and the, the rebellions amongst Jews because David was usurping Saul, the first king. So you have Binyamin and Judah going at it all the time. And King Chizkiyahu, he had, he had to deal with the Assyrian Empire, who looked like a lack to exile Judea. After all, they had just exiled the 10 tribes earlier, and there was no reason that they wouldn't do the same to King Chizkiyahu's kingdom in Judea, but no, Chizkiyahu stood against them. So he had a lot on his plate. And now we come to King Yoshiao with his own unique set of circumstances and challenges. He takes the throne. After the decree of doom has already been set down by Hulda, by Isaiah, so he's got an uphill battle to fight here. And we saw it in uh, chapter 23, the first couple of verses we already read. We see how he tries to turn back the clock and prevent somehow the Chorban, which has been prophesied already. And the first thing he did, we saw in these verses, he gathers all of Am Yisrael together in a special mamad, a special uh, occasion here. And together they reaffirm and renew their commitment to fulfill the Torah. Right? This is after all those generations of bad kings. Yoshiao is going to try to get everybody back on track. He gathers all of Am Yisrael together. We compared it to Nitzavim, when Am Yisrael reaffirmed their commitment to do Torah. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu brought them together after Sinai. The Brit and Shechem, they did it again, renewing their commitment. And that's what Yoshiao does over here. And now we're going to see in verses 4 to 25, uh, the steps he takes on this all-out campaign to purge Judea of all the paganism that's affected it over these last few generations, again, during the days of Manasseh and Ammon. And the verses are going to take us step-by-step, step, uh, verse-by-verse here, what what Yoshua uh, actually does. And you'll get an idea just how bad Judea's condition was as we see these verses. So let's see how uh, he starts to purge Judea of idol worship. Let's look at verse 4. And the king commanded Chilkiyahu, the high priest. So we know Chilkiyahu, he's the one who found the Sefer Torah during the Bedek Vet Mishne, And not just the high priest, but all the other priests, the secondary priests. Vet Shomrei Asaf, and the guards of the threshold. That's another important post in the temple. He gets them all together and he says, And he commands them to take out of the temple of the Lord all of the utensils, all the kelim, La Asherah and the Baal. So you have the Baal and Asherah accessories in the temple. Okay? All the paraphernalia that was used for this idol worship of the Baal and the Asherah was actually still in the temple. So King Yoshao starts with that. That's a great place to start. First, you clean out the temple. You cleanse it of all this schmutz, all this paraphernalia of idol worship. And not, not only the Baal and the Asherah, or Kotzvah to Shamayim, there was all kinds of accessories that were used for the entire host of the heavens. We saw them in the days of Manasseh. They worshipped that. And what do they do with all those um, utensils, those kelim, the, the paraphernalia of the paganism? They take it, they take it outside of the temple, 
They don't want it in the temple anymore. And they don't want it near the temple. So they take a Lenachal Kidron and they have a big bonfire over there, like Lagba Omer. You know, they burn it and everybody could see it. And then they Naseta Faram Betel and they take the ashes. If that's not enough, they burn it. They take the ashes to Betel. Now, why would he take the Betel? You know, Betel is the place of Yaakov's ladder, Shara Shamayim, a holy place. But no, not at that time. If you look at the Mitzudat David, it explains why did they take the ashes, and that's an effort to take the ashes from Jerusalem to Beit El. So the Mitzudat David says, Hayam Akoma that was the place of impurity, ki emid ba Yeravam Egel because that's where Yeravam and Avat placed those calves. Remember he put one in Beit El and one in Dan? Well, it's a place of impurity because of that. So they throw the ashes of paganism in Beit El. So you have to remember, Yeravam and Avat was a gadol ador. He was maybe still considered by many as being this great rabbi. And somehow they thought his egalim in Beit El were legitimate. And so he brings all that tumma, all those, the ashes of the accessories of the Avodah Zarah to Beit El to show that those calves and what Yeravam did was also a, a disgrace. Now, what else does he do? In verse 5, the Ishbita Tekmarim, and he abolished the Kamarim. Now, what is this term Kamarim or Komer? It's plural, plural for the word Komer, which are pagan priests. And the Redak comments on this verse that these were the black, black garbed priests in contrast to the Kohanim, who are the white garb priests. As a matter of fact, in the root Komer, you also have the word to be to burn, or something that's burned in the oven gets charred, that's Komer. That shows that they wore black. And that's kind of interesting because a Catholic priest today is called a Komer, and they also wear black. So that word really kind of stuck. And the verse continues, Asher natnu malchei whom the kings of Judea had appointed. So the kings of Judea, the evil ones, appointed these Komerim, these pagan priests, just like Jezebel brought in those priests of the Baal to sit at her table. So the evil kings of Judea did the same. Now, what are these Komerim do? And they would burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judea, and in the suburbs of Jerusalem, and they would also burn incense to the Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the Mazalot, the Kotzva Shamayim, and to the constellations and the hosts of the heavens. Now, we have to make a distinction as to what King Yosha is doing here. According to the Allah, when it comes to pure Avodah you got to smash it. Lenatetzoto is the word that's used. Lenatetz sometimes to burn it, like he did in the previous verse. He burnt it into ashes. And that's what Yoshiao did again in verse 4. But here, when it comes to the pagan priests and their bamot, it says, What is lashbit? It's like from the word Shabbat. What is Shabbat? You stop everything you're doing. On Shabbat, you turn Shabbat into a verb, it becomes lashbit, which is to stop it. He stopped it. He abolished it. That's a lot less severe than Linatetz to smash it. Why only does it say Lashbit at the Kamarim? Because the Bamot that were being used here, the altars, were not for the purposes of Avodah Zarah, at least at the beginning of the verse. All those Bamot in the cities of Judea and in the suburbs of Jerusalem, those are the altars that were used for service to Hashem. But they were forbidden since they were outside of the temple 
And once the temple was built, you only could do your worship inside the temple. And these bemot were outside of the temple. And that's why King Yoshiao, it says, he abolished them, but he did not destroy them. The word Linatetz isn't used here, since it's not pure Avodah And so again, we'll see this distinction all along the way. Some things he'll defile, some things he'll burn, some things he'll smash, and some things he'll just abolish. Now we go to verse 6. And he took the Asherah out of the house of the Lord. So the Asherah was in the temple, this Canaanite uh, idol-worshipping practice. And he took it not only out of the temple, but outside of Jerusalem, to the Kidron Valley. Again, that's in East Jerusalem, and he burnt it in the Kidron Valley. So we're, again, we're talking about a big bonfire, He's having a big ceremony here at Tekes, and he burns all this uh, Asherah stuff. And he, Ladek means he pulverized it to dust. And what does he do with the dust? Last time he threw the dust and the ashes in Betel. Here he takes the Asherah stuff and he throws it into the dust on the graves of the members of the people. Kever Bnei'am. Now, what is that all about? Taking the the dust of the Asherah tree that's been burnt, and you throw it on the graves of the Am. So, there's a couple explanations of what he's doing here. First of all, a kever, a, a grave site, is an impure place. It's tamei. So he's tossing or dumping this tamei dust on a tamei area. Now it says in Vayikra twenty six thirty, I will destroy your high places and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. So that kind of may be what he's fulfilling here, that verse, that he destroys the Asherah, and he piles the dead bodies on the lifeless forms of the idols. So this is like the opposite. He's putting the lifeless form of the idols over the dead bodies. That's another uh, explanation of why he took it to the graves. Now, the redox is something interesting. Why did he bring it to the graves of the Am? He didn't just bring it to any grave. He brought it to those people who had worshipped it during their lifetime. So he was degrading all these Asherah worshippers by burning the Asherah tree, pulverizing it to dust, and tossing it or dumping it on the graves of people who used to worship it. So yeah, King Yoshiao, he's not messing around over here. Verse 7, which means he smashed, there's that word again, he smashed the Beteya Kadeshim that were in the house of the Lord or in the temple. What's a Kadeshim? Well, a Kadesha, usually it's in the feminine form, is the word for a, a prostitute. Here you have the masculine form, Kadeshim, which could be translated as a, a male prostitute, not a female prostitute, but it's probably a reference to homosexuality, or Kadeshim here can be just a general term for sexual uh, promiscuousness, sexual immorality. That's what he smashed, the houses of sexual immorality, or you can call them uh, houses of ill repute. So you have houses of ill repute on the Temple Mount. It says they were in the Temple. Now, this sexual uh, promiscuousness was probably tied to some kind of pagan worship. And if you see, as we finish the verse, after he demolished the houses of ill repute and the house of the Lord, and then where the women weaved enclosures for the Asherah. What do you mean they made houses for the Asherah? They covered the Asherah? What's that all about? 
So the Asherah, you know, usually we think of it as some kind of tree, which it was, but there's other possibilities to what this Asherah was. And this Asherah apparently was also connected to some kind of sexual immorality, some kind of fertility cult. Um, that's why it says the women weaved enclosures or covers for the Asherah. What's that? The Ralbag explains. He says, these were houses of ill repute and sexual immorality, and the Asherah cult would engage in immoral acts as part of their worship. And the women would weave enclosures to conceal those who engaged in these acts while worshiping the Asherah. So that's how you get the Asherah being connected to sexual immorality. They're enclosing it. That's the verses. They are goat batim. They would weave these covers to cover, uh, to conceal the people who were engaging in these acts. Anyway, that's what was going on there. We get an idea of what was going on in, the, in Judea. And Yoshia was cleaning it up. He's smashing these batei kadeshim, getting rid of it. And like we said, every every type of uh, bad worship here, evil worship gets its own tipul, its own particular care. Sometimes he defiles it. Sometimes he abolishes it. Here, he smashes it. Verse 8, And he brought all the priests from the city of Judea. And he defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense. From Geva all the way to Beersheba. So here, Yoshiao, king, the king, he's defiling the Tama, the Bamot, from Geva until Beersheba, which are the borders of Judea. Geva, which today is the city of Adam, which is also sometimes called Geva, Geva Benjamin. That's uh, the northern border of Judea. Beersheba is the southern border. So if you're talking about all of Israel, with the 10 tribes, it would be Dan and Beersheba. But because Dan isn't part of Judea, it's Geva. That's the northern border. Geva and Beersheba. All that area, he defiles the Bamot, which were all over the place. But notice it doesn't say Vayanatetz the Bamot. He didn't smash the altars. Because these altars were not for pagan purposes. They were altars used for service to Hashem. But it was outside the temple, which is forbidden. So it says he defiled them. And you can almost understand why these priests... We're using these Bamot. And again, it, it says Kohanim. It's not Kmarim here. These were legitimate Kohanim who were using the Bamot outside the temple in the cities of Judea. And why do I say you can maybe understand it? Because Menashe and Ammon, we know, trashed the temple, defiled the temple. We saw how Yoshiao was removing all the Asherah and Baal vessels from the temple. So the Kohanim probably decided at some point that since the temple in Jerusalem is in, is in such horrible spiritual condition, full of tumor, maybe uh, it's better to burn incense and offer sacrifices on these bamot, these altars, outside the temple. It's probably more kosher than the temple at that point. It's like if you see things you don't like in, in synagogue you, that you're davening at, things that turn you off, so you say, you know, I'm better off davening at home. That's what the bamot were like. You know, they were like your private altars outside the temple. Anyway, the verse continues. And he demolished the Bamot, the high places near the gates. One was that the entrance of the gate of Joshua made of the city, which was on a person's left, in the gate of the city. So now we're talking about a very specific Bama altar, obviously a prominent one, a big one, a famous one. And this particular one, Venatats, he did smash this one, because again, it was a a prominent one. So there, he doesn't only defile it, he destroys it. 
Now, what are you going to do about all these priests? You have legitimate priests, kosher priests, but they were engaging in the Bamot, in the high places. So what do you do with them? On one hand, they weren't engaging in blatant night worship because we say the Bamot were for Hashem. They're not allowed by the for Hashem. Even if you could understand their need to distance themselves from the temple during the days of Menashe, still, it's not allowed to offer on Bamot. So what did he do with these priests? So we see this in verse 9. However, the priests of the high places, the priests we're talking about, they will not go up to the Lord's altar, they will only eat the matzahs or the unleavened bread among their brothers. So what this verse is saying is that Yoshiao treated these priests as balei mumim. Lo yalu Hashem. They are not going to do the service with the other priests. They're like what we call priests with some kind of defect. They were disqualified from being priests because they were engaging in those bamot. So they were not in the service. They were not involved in the service of the temple. But the verse says, but they were, they were still permitted to take part in the, what you call the matanota kawanim, in the tithes, in the truma that you get to the kohen. They were able to eat that just like other Kohanim, but they were not allowed to perform the service in the temple because, again, they engaged in these Bamot. So, again, King Yoshiao, he is uh, dealing with each situation according to the specific circumstances involved here. Verse 10, He defiled the Tophet. In a minute, we'll try to understand what a Tophet is. Which was in the valley of Ben Chinam. So that no man would pass his son or his daughter through the fire to the Molech. So we've talked about this ritual before, Molech worship, where the father passes his son or his daughter through the fire. According to the, uh, the Ralbag and the Abarbanel and from the Talmud, the priest wouldn't actually pass him through fire, but between two fires. That's a, a machloket. And maybe the different kinds of Molech worship going on. But we can ask, what is this Tophet? He defiled the Tophet. There's not even a translation for it. So some say Tophet comes from the word Tof. What's a Tof? Tof is a drum. And this relates to Molech worship because the priest would bang on the drums so that the father would not hear the screams of the child that was being burned. So we're talking about a pretty brutal kind of worship here. And if so, why doesn't it say that Yoshiao? smashed it or burned it. It says he defiled it. Well, it's because we're not talking about molech kalim. We're not talking about specific accessories of the molech or the drum itself. We're talking about an area where the molech was carried out. If it was an, a, an appendage or accessory of the molech, yeah, he'd probably burn it. Uh, if he found the actual drum, I don't know what the halacha is on the drums. Maybe you have to burn that too. But the point is, we're probably talking about a geographical area where Moloch was practiced, and he could only defile the area so people wouldn't engage in Moloch anymore. And that's interesting in itself that King Yoshiao contaminates the area, defiles the area, he defiles the Tophet, and back in verse 8, he defiled the high places where the priest burned incense, and that would deter the people from engaging in these practices. Now, you would think they, they wouldn't care if Yoshiao defiled the area. They would carry on anyway but so we see they're capable of the people and one hand they're capable of worshiping idols or passing their child to the fire of molech even 
yet they could be ter- deterred from doing so because the site of their idol worship was contaminated. So this shows that while the people were attracted to paganism, they still wouldn't enter a contaminated place. And that's what Yoshia was doing. He was defiling these places to deter the idol worship there. So in a way, they're still obeying the commandments, you know, to some extent. And so I think this goes back to what we said earlier, that the spiritual pull that existed in those days, it was strong. It's not like today where it's really hard to feel anything, you know, when you're daven. You have to really work hard to feel something. Back then, you felt the elokut in the air, the spirituality, and they had to express it in one way or another. So they went to all these pagan practices. And that's what we saw in the Talmud with Ravashi and Menashe. When Menashe told Ravashi in a dream that if he had lived, if Ravashi had lived during Menashe's time, he would have picked up the skirt of his coat to run and worship idols. So in those days, you know, there was no such thing as an atheist. Everyone believed in a supreme being that ran the world. Something, they just got it wrong, trying to direct their their worship uh, to the proper being. But I still think that's a higher level than some atheist who believes that everything is just random. And we'll see in the next verse that there was a strong inclination to worship the sun because the sun is something pretty awesome. You know, it does a lot. You don't see God, but you see the sun. And the Rambam explains that at first, people viewed the sun as an intermediary to Hashem. But with time, the intermediary became the deity itself. It just evolves that way. That's kind of what happened to the calves of Yeravam ben Nevat, the first king of Israel. At first, he set up this calf in Beit El Dan. It was a replacement for the temple. It wasn't supposed to be worshipped, but with time, people started to worship it. Uh, in any case, we'll continue in our next year to learn how King Yoshiao continues to purge Judea of all kinds of pagan practices, practices that we see badly affected Judea, stay tuned.